Chapter Twenty of A Short History of Scotland by Andrew Lang, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Twenty, Mary in Scotland, Part Two. Mary seemed triumphant, but the men with her, Lethington and Morton, the Chancellor, were disaffected. Darnley was mutinous; he thought himself neglected. He and his father resented Mary's leniency to Chatelherault, who had submitted and been sent to France. All parties hated Riccio. There was to be a Parliament early in March, 1566. In February Mary sent the Bishop of Dunblane to Rome to ask for a subsidy. She intended to reintroduce the spiritual estate into the house as electors of the Lords of the Articles, tending to have done some good attend restoring the old religion. The nuncio, who was to have brought the Pope's money, later insisted that Mary should take the heads of Murray, Argyle, Morton, and Lethington. Whether she aimed at securing more than tolerance for Catholics is uncertain, but the Parliament, in which the exiled lords were to be forfeited, was never held. The other nobles would never permit such a measure. George Douglas, a stirring cadet of the great house, was exciting Darnley's jealousy of Riccio, but already Randolph, February 5, 1566, had written to Cecil that the wisest were aiming at putting all in hazard to restore the exiled lords the nobles in the last resort, would all stand by each other. There was now a Douglas plot of the old sort to bring back the exiles, and Darnley, with his jealous desire to murder Riccio, was but the cat's paw to light the train and explode Mary and her government. Ruthven, whom Mary had always distrusted, came into the conspiracy. Through Randolph all was known in England. Bands were drawn up, signed by Argyle, safe in his own hills, Murray, Glencarn, Roths, Boyd, Ochiltree, the father of Knox's young wife, and Darnley. His name was put forward. His rights and succession were secured against the Hamiltons. Protestantism, too, was to be defended. Many Douglases, many of the Lothian gentry, were in the plot. Murray was to arrive from England as soon as Riccio had been slain and Mary had been seized. Randolph knew all, and reported to Elizabeth's ministers. The plan worked with mechanical precision. On March 9th, Morton and his company occupied Holyrood, going up the great staircase about eight at night, while Darnley and Ruthven, a dying man, entered the Queen's supper-room by a privy stair. Morton's men burst in, Riccio was dragged forth, and died under forty daggers. Bothwell, Athol, and Huntley, partisans of Mary, escaped from the palace. With them Mary managed to communicate on the morrow, when she also held talk with Murray, who had returned with the other exiles. She had worked on the fears and passions of Darnley. By promises of amnesty, the lords were induced to withdraw their guards next day, and in the following night, by a secret passage, and through the tombs of kings, Mary and Darnley reached the horses brought by Arthur Erskine. It was a long dark ride to Dunbar, but there Mary was safe. She pardoned and won over Glencarn, whom she liked, and Roths, Bothwell, and Huntley joined her with a sufficient force. Ruthven and Morton fled to Berwick, Ruthven was to die in England, and Knox hastened into Kyle in Ayrshire. Darnley, who declared his own innocence and betrayed his accomplices, was now equally hated and despised by his late allies, and by the Queen and Murray, indeed by all men, chiefly by Morton and Argyle. Lethington was in hiding, but he was indispensable, and in September was reconciled to Mary. On June 19th, in Edinburgh Castle, she bore her child, later James the Sixth, 
On her recovery Darnley was insolent, and was the more detested, while Bothwell was high in favour. In October most of the lords signed, with Murray, a band for setting Darnley aside, not for his murder. He is said to have denounced Mary to Spain, France, and Rome for neglecting Catholic interests. In mid-October, Mary was seriously ill at Jedburgh, where Bothwell, wounded in an encounter with a border river, was welcomed, while Darnley, coldly rejected, went to his father's house on the 4th. On her recovery, Mary resided in the last days of November at Craigmiller Castle, near Edinburgh. Here Murray, Argyll, Bothwell, Huntley, and Lethington held counsel with her as to Darnley. Lethington said that a way would be found, a way that Parliament would approve, while Murray would look through his fingers. Lennox believed that the plan was to arrest Darnley on some charge, and slay him if he resisted. At Stirling, December 17th, when the young prince was baptized with Catholic rites, Darnley did not appear. He sulked in his own rooms. A week later the exiles guilty of Riccio's murder were recalled, among them Morton, and Darnley, finding all his enemies about to be united, went to Glasgow, where he fell ill of smallpox. Mary offered a visit, she had had the malady as a child, and was rudely rebuffed, January 1-13, through 13, 1567, but she was with him by January 21st. From Glasgow at this time was written the long and fatal letter to Bothwell, which places Mary's guilt in luring Darnley to his death beyond doubt, if we accept the letters as authentic. Darnley was carried in a litter to the lonely house of Kirkofield, on the south wall of Edinburgh. Here Mary attended him in his sickness. On Sunday morning, February 9th, Murray left Edinburgh for Fife. On the night of Sunday the ninth through Monday the 10th, the house where Darnley lay was blown up by gunpowder, and he, with an attendant, was found dead in the garden. How he was slain is not known. That Bothwell, in accordance with a band signed by himself, Huntley, Argyle, and Lethington, and aided by some border ruffians, laid and exploded the powder is certain. Morton was apprised by Lethington and Bothwell of the plot, but refused to join it without Mary's written commission, which he did not obtain. Against the Queen there is no trustworthy direct evidence, if we distrust her alleged letters to Bothwell, but her conduct in protecting and marrying Bothwell, who was really in love with his wife, shows that she did not disapprove. The trial of Bothwell was a farce. Mary's abduction by him, April 24th, and retreat with him to Dunbar was collusive. She married Bothwell on May 15th. Her nobles, many of whom had signed a document urging her to marry Bothwell, rose against her, on June 15, 1567. She surrendered to them at Carberry Hill, while they, several of them deep in the murder plot, were not sorry to let Bothwell escape to Dunbar. After some piratical adventures, being pursued by Kirkcaldy, he made his way to Denmark, where he died a prisoner. Mary, first carried to Edinburgh, and there insulted by the populace, was next hurried to Lochleven Castle. Her alleged letters to Bothwell were betrayed to the lords, June 21st, probably through Sir James Balfour, who commanded in Edinburgh Castle. Perhaps Murray, who had left for France before the marriage to Bothwell, perhaps fear of Elizabeth, or human pity, induced her captors, contrary to the Council of Lethington, to spare her life, when she had signed her abdication while they crowned her infant son. Murray accepted the regency, a parliament in December established the Kirk, acquitted themselves of rebellion, and announced that they had proof of Mary's guilt in her own writing. Her romantic escape from Lochleven, 
May 2, 1568, gave her but an hour of freedom. Defeated on her march to Dumbarton Castle in the Battle of Langside Hill, she lost heart and fled to the coast of Galloway. On May 16th crossed the Solway to Workington and Cumberland, and in a few days was Elizabeth's prisoner in Carlisle Castle. Mary had hitherto been convinced, but not a very obedient daughter of the Church. For example, it appears that she married Darnley before the arrival of the Pope's dispensation. At this moment Philip of Spain, the French envoy to Scotland, and the French court had no faith in her innocence of Darnley's death, and the Pope said he knew not which of these ladies were the better, Mary or Elizabeth. But from this time, while a captive in England, Mary was the centre of the hopes of English Catholics. In miniatures she appears as queen, quartering the English arms. She might further the ends of Spain, of France, of Rome, of English rebels, while her existence was a nightmare to the Protestants of Scotland, and a peril to Elizabeth. After Mary's flight, Murray was, as has been said, regent for the crowned baby James. In his council were the sensual, brutal, but vigorous Morton, with Mar, later himself regent, a man of milder nature, Glencarn, Ruthven, whom Mary detested, he had tried to make unwelcome love to her at Lochleven, and the necessary evil, Lethington. How a man so wily became a party to the murder of Darnley cannot be known. Now he began to perceive that, if Mary were restored, as he believed that she would be, his only safety lay in securing her gratitude by secret services. On the other side were the Hamiltons, with their ablest man, the Archbishop, the border spears who were loyal to Bothwell, and two of the conspirators in the murder of Darnley, Argyll and Huntley, with Fleming and Harrys, who were much attached to Mary. The two parties, influenced by Elizabeth, did not now come to blows, but awaited the results of English inquiries into Mary's guilt, and of Elizabeth's consequent action. End of chapter 20. Read by Sibella Denton. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.